Welcome back to another Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with my ubiquitous co-hosts, Mario Sikora and Maria Jose Munita. And today, we are talking about the things we don't talk about. Um, the, things we, the things we don't <laughs> teach. Um, so, Mario, why don't you teach the real Enneagram? <laughs> the well, one true Enneagram. Well, the one true Enneagram, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, before we get into this, I'm curious about what ubiquitous is in Spanish, hey. Jose. What, uh, how, how would you say ubiquitous in Spanish? Uh, I don't think we use that word. Okay. I'm not entirely sure if I if I use it correctly when I do say it, but <laughs> <laughs> ubiquitous means everywhere, you know, appearing appearing yes. everywhere. So. Yeah, and if uh, if if you feel like that is the case with Mario, it's because he now has a TikTok, which you should all follow. And of course, me on all the four videos are going viral. Um, so <laughs> I've got about like 15 videos there now. So, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, in Spanish, we say ubiquo, which is pretty uh, much the same. Ubiquo? But we don't use the How word. Do you spell it? Yeah, I, yeah, well, I would not use the word. <laughs> okay. U B I C U O. Interesting. Wow. What would you use instead? Uh, Awareness to Action Spanish podcast. In todos lugares. Omnipresente. Omnipresente. Omnipresent. Nice, nice. Um, (laughs) All right, so we're going to be talking about wings, we're going to be talking about centers, and we're going to be talking about tri-types, all of which are things that are very commonly used in the Enneagram community as a way to understand how... um, which parts of the Enneagram you identify with. Um, Some people find it helpful, other people don't. So we're here to explore. Often I find that we learn the best by understanding what doesn't work or what something isn't um, instead of just talking about what is. So we're going to be talking more about what we don't do and why those reasons are. So hopefully you can gain some clarity as to our awareness to action approach. So we're going to start with wings. Let's do a quick history lesson. Starting yeah. when? <laughs> yeah. How far back should we go? Should, start, we, how should quick? we go back start, to the ancient Egyptians and uh, work our way forward? Egypt. Or, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> no, so let's let's start with uh, Ichazo and into Naranjo and then into these ideas of the wings. I, I, I'll comment first on what you just said about um, understanding things from you know the negative in a sense, right? In, in theology, that would call it via negativa. You know, the things that God is not. There's via positiva. God is love. God is goodness, etc. There's via negativa. God is not this. God is not that. And so, so I am of the via negativa approach uh, on a lot of things. Right? We've talked so much about falsification and error elimination in theories, and the enneagram is just an explanation of human nature from a particular perspective. And when I first learned it, it included a lot of things that I don't teach anymore. So if we, if we start with the wings and we go back to this concept of wings through the history of the Enneagram, the Enneagram personality started with Oscar Achazo. Okay, there's a lot of talk about where the Enneagram started. It started with Achazo. He was the first guy to say, go ahead, Mario. He was from Bolivia teaching in Chile. 
There you go. All right. Shout, shout out to our South American friends there. So, um, so, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a fact. <laughs> well, you know, look, it was a huge contribution, right? I've got my issues yeah. with, you know, things that Achazo taught and some of the things I've seen with Arika and so forth. But, you know, uh, look at Jay. Uh, he was the granddaddy of the Enneagram personality. And uh, so we have to give credit to him. It's funny when we started, I remember when we were on the IA board and we started collecting information, recreating the history. He was the daddy, not the granddaddy, but that was yeah, a well, long yeah. time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so He was the father and Naranjo was the mother. <laughs> there, there you go. Yes. Now, of course, uh, well, we'll get to this part of the story, but Naranjo is, you know, towards the end of his life, tried to push um, Echazo aside and say, well, you know, I got this nugget of an idea from Echazo, but I'm the real father of the Enneagram. You can, you can watch his video on YouTube, the origins of the Enneagram and, uh, you know, where he says all that stuff. So Echazo has this idea of mapping dynamics of personality and other things to this Enneagram diagram that, you know, first appears with Gurdjieff. He had this idea that uh, that he t referred to as wings. And he said, you know, when we're thinking about the uh, passion of each Enneagram type, you know, we think of the seven deadly sins plus two. When you want to understand from a fuller perspective each of the passions, you want to think about the two passions on either side of the type on the diagram folding in like wings to create this other passion. So if you take the eight like me and you've got the uh, sloth at point nine and you've got gluttony at point seven and you fold these two things you end up with the lust of the eight it's kind of a I've lazy heard this, gluttony. i've heard this a hundred times and i still don't get what you're talking about <laughs> I, because because it's 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 an almost to me irrelevant idea and it's just it's it's a it's a it's a semantic phrase because you know it's obviously you can't well, if you're folding one in to get the other and, you know, the two in to get the other, well, where did those two come from and all this stuff? But it really was just an, an attempt to explain or put a new light on something, right? Not explain even so much, but just to, just to kind of help you take a different perspective on it. Any okay. idea why it was the passions and not like the fixations or another aspect? No. Yeah, no, I don't. See, the, see Chazo had... I know, it was like 108 Enneagrams. Enneagons. Right? And Enneagons. Yes. Thank you, right? So uh, they, they, he, he referred to them as Enneagons. And Naranjo only studied with him for a fairly short time before, you know, depending on whose story you read, before either leaving or being booted from, you know, the Eureka folks, uh, the Eureka group. So... Naranjo takes this piece of what he knows and he goes back and he starts saying, hey, this is interesting. I'm going to develop this a bit further. And so being a psychiatrist, he starts associating dysfunctional 
psychological phenomenon with the nine types, the nine points. And so the eight is all about the antisocial personality and the, the one is about, you know, resentment and anger and, you know, and the, the four is about melancholy and so forth. Okay. Now he said, it's what's interesting to me. I've always been fascinated by this is that he says that uh, the only Enneagram type that does not have a DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual Correlate, is point three, which he refers to as the marketing mindset. And he said that the reason that there's no uh, DSM correlation to it is because it is the culture of the United States. So it's not seen as, as a dysfunction. It's just seen as the norm, right? So uh, other cultures would see it as a dysfunction. And if they developed the DSM, it would be there. So um, anyway, so Naranjo comes up with this other, you know, way of thinking about it. Naranjo goes to Berkeley. Can Cal we go back real go quick? Ahead. Do, do you agree sure. with with his? Yeah, I think I think. Well, I don't know so much about because it's an American cultural mm. thing. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I, I well, I think I think that U.S. culture is very much a three culture. Okay, uh, for sure. And you know, you I can agree. see. Yeah, you can see cultural. Uh, you know, phenomena in you know cultural overlays in a lot of different cultures that correlate to the enneagram. Okay, so. Naranjo starts, to, and, and and by the way, I think I think Naranjo's character in Neurosis is probably the indispensable book on the Enneagram, mm. in my view. I think it's. I don't agree with everything in there, but I think as a fundamental, deep understanding of the dysfunctional aspects of the Enneagram types, nobody did it better. Okay, just it's it's. I encourage everybody who's interested in the Enneagram to try to read uh, character and neurosis. Okay, so Naranjo starts teaching the Enneagram in Berkeley, California. He's doing, as I understand the story, and has as has been confirmed to me, uh, number one through some people who studied with Naranjo and heard him tell the same story, and with what is in uh, Sandra Matry's book, The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram. He's teaching the Enneagram in 10 sessions, okay? Number of people there, A.H. Almas or Hamid Ali was there, Sandra Maitri was there. Let's see, a guy named Bob Oaks was there. Bob Oaks was a Jesuit from, I believe, Loyola University. And Oaks was there for the first eight sessions. Now, there are 10. And at the end of the eighth session, he says... Uh, Naranjo says, um, next week we're going to talk about Achazo's idea of the wings. Okay? Now, what he did not say, in the 10th week we're going to talk about the subtypes and the instincts. Okay, He didn't say that, but that's what the topic was. Now, Bob Oaks leaves and he goes back to Loyola and he hears something about wings. Oscar had this idea of wings, okay? but he doesn't know what it is. Now, like I said, you know, what I just said was that it's this idea of these two things folding in on each other, okay? And the reason you don't hear that much about it anymore is because, to Maria Jose's point, it's not all that interesting. It's not all that useful, okay? So it's just, all right, whatever. And, and, and I think that along the way, there have been so many ideas that have died <laughs> yeah. that were not useful. People were testing ideas, yeah. testing correlations, testing different constructions in terms of, I mean, 
about, I mean, building on the Enneagram and they have just faded out. And I think that probably was one of them. I, I think so too. And, you know, and, and you can look at, uh, for example, the, um, the connecting points, right? Um, you know, Naranjo never talked about the connecting points of having any real significance. Uh, my understanding was that he kind of introduced the idea as a thought of experiment, but then didn't see much value to it. So he just kind of dumped it. I do find some value to that, right? And so we do teach it, but, you know, not everybody does. Is there any way, going back a little bit, is there any way to, to I don't know, verify that the story about Bob Oaks? Um, I don't know. So, you know, Sandra Matry, uh, she did a, um, a podcast with uh, Chris Huertz, and she talks a bit about this, about how this idea of the wings was not part of the original teaching. She writes about it in her book, um, The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram, and Naranjo didn't teach the wings, right? So, you know, uh, so it makes sense to me. Okay. Now, what happens, again, according to, you know, how I came to understand it was that the, the Jesuits all get back together and they start, you know, really becoming obsessed with the Enneagram. And not all Jesuits, but at least those at Loyola who were in Bob Oaks's uh, class. And, you know, as they're starting to study the Enneagram more, they start to say, hey, wait a minute, this three's not like that three, and this two's not like that two. And, you know, they're both twos, but they're really different. And so they said, hmm, I wonder if it's this wing thing that Claudio mentioned. Okay. Now, not knowing what he really meant, they said, let's try this out. And they started developing this idea that the thing that drew the distinction between these two types of, um, of, of these different variations of the type was due to the wing. This idea pops up and takes hold as, you know, there are two kinds of fours and there are two kinds of threes and two kinds of ones. And there's a three with a four wing and there's a three with a two wing. And, you know, a, a great deal of effort went into describing these two different profiles and so forth. And it became, at least in the East Coast version of the Enneagram, which was primarily, you know, the Jesuits and, you know, Don Riso and Russ Hudson and, you know, others, uh, became very prominent, but you didn't see it in the Helen Palmer, you know, the the West Coast version of the Enneagram, which was people who were there for the whole Berkeley training. My understanding is that you don't see it either in Naranjo's teaching. Right. No, you don't. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, if you look back at the early books on the Enneagram, none of the East Coast slash Jesuit, you know, derived books talked about subtypes. Helen Palmer's first book did. Okay, there's only, you know, a couple of sentences about each one, but that was because they learned the instincts and subtypes from Naranjo and the others did not. Okay? So it's kind of like, a, a you know, an evolutionary split there when, you know, half the tribe goes this way, the other goes that way, and they start developing new languages and so forth. So the wing idea, to me, was just another cluge, right? You know, I think we used that term last time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and fit it into every podcast now, right? So, if you, yeah. So if you remember, Rick <laughs> defended it quite passionately. 
<laughs> so, so a, a kludge is a quick fix to a problem. Okay, so it's you know trying to fix your carburetor with duct tape and bubble gum or something, and it will work in the short <laughs> term, but it will break down under pressure. Okay, yeah. so um, so for me, that's what I started seeing. Now, before I knew any of this about the history, I mean, I'm we're, we're going back, you know, almost twenty years now when I started having problems with this idea of wings, primarily because people kept arguing about it, right? People kept, yeah, I don't know if I'm this wing or if I'm that wing, or, you know, I think I have both of them. And so you see all these different theories on wings now because it just it just doesn't work, right? People are trying to force fit an idea. And so they're coming up with all these workarounds. Well, you know, some people have both wings and some people only have one wing and others have the other. And it's on this big wheel. I used to have this one. Now I have these other ones. Exactly Mm -hmm. right. You know, now, you know, Sandra Matry does say in the, in the, uh, the podcast with Chris Hewart's that, and it was never taught this idea that, you know, you have one wing or another, but they do teach that, you know, you, you go through periods of your life where one of the types on one side is kind of interfering with you in some way. And then, you you know, another part of your life, it's the others and so forth, you know, but eh, maybe, I, I don't know. I, that sounds, you know, a bit complicated to me. And, and we can find any damn thing we want if we start yeah. looking. Right. This is the thing. I can find anything I want. So if I want to think that there are these wings and, you know, and now look, that is okay. I am not saying the wings are not true. Okay. Because none of this stuff is true. It's an explanation. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's an explanation. It's a model. Okay, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And this is the key that when we say we don't teach things, it's not because we necessarily think they're wrong, because we know that we're wrong too, right? But we don't teach them because the amount of complexity and the amount of the amount of distraction they add, does not uh, is not overweighed by the benefit that they bring. Okay, they create more confusion than clarity, in our view. So we don't teach them. I think that's the case with some of the things we don't teach, mm-hmm. and others are explanations of things that we explain hmm. differently, and so we don't need those explanations. Which does bring us back to the wings, right? Because what I started to see. Years and years ago, as I was wrestling with this, you, you know, uh, I started to see, hey, wait a minute. How come every seven with an eight wing that I meet also identifies as a quote-unquote sexual seven? And every eight with a seven wing I meet is a sexual eight. And, you know, around and around, I saw these consistent correlations between wing and instinctual bias or subtype for some of them, and then others didn't really fit. It occurred to me that these were just redundancies, okay? These were people using other ideas to try and explain something that can be better explained by another means, okay, to Marie Jose's point. So the wings are an attempt to explain something that the subtypes explain much, much better and 
if they're kind of describing the same thing, why have two of them, especially if one of them brings with it all this confusion and this huge need to, exp- to, 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 to justify and rationalize? Because if you tell me, if we talk about why are these, there are these three subtypes, well, that's easy. We have two different elements of us. We have the instinctual bias, which is a system of prioritizing, and we have the strategy, which is how we go about satisfying those priorities. You combine them together and you get this subtype. Now explain to me why we have wings. Um, well, you see, the Enneagram is like a circle, and you know, uh, people are on this part of the circle rather than that part of the circle. What are you talking about? What if I have both? What if I have both? Or where's this circle you're talking about, right? What exactly is this? What, you know, so it, it just it just opens up all these questions. Yeah, I mean, I've heard you say that before. I'm not entirely sure. The, the, the comment about like, where's the circle? What do you talk, like? I don't I don't get why that's an argument. I guess because it's implying a mechanism of some sort or a model of some sort or a structure of some sort that's completely pulled out of the air and doesn't have any correlation to anything functional or anything operative. Anything outside the model. Yeah, but by anything outside of the model, but any, um, any justification at all. Okay. See, here's the thing. It's, it's the insertion of a gremlin in an explanation. Okay, because it doesn't actually answer anything. It just is a placeholder for variation in that that, that substitutes for an explanation of variation. Mm. Okay? Yeah, in my mind, the Enneagram is just a drawing that it's trying to um, portray the dynamics of personality like the different classifications and how, I mean, the dynamics between each point. But it's a drawing. It's like when you're trying to create a mental map of an idea that you have. Uh, You just draw something, connect with arrows and things like that. It doesn't mean that that drawing exists out there. It means that that's your way to show how you see it working. But it's your mm-hmm. way to describe it. Doesn't mean that it exists. I try to describe things through doing like summaries using mental maps, but I don't think that those mental maps are true. They're my way of describing the phenomena or the things that I'm trying to share. Well, the Enneagram is the same. So when you think that it's your in one part of the circle because it's just I'm a type one with a two wing, so I'm a bit to the right of the circle. That's kind of saying that it exists, that it's something that it's out there, and I don't think it is. If I'm thinking through, sure, that you can find whatever you want to find, but if I'm thinking about the two numbers on either side, right, I can see more strongly how I'm striving to feel detached and striving to feel outstanding than I am to, I don't know, strive to like how I'm striving to feel excited or stimulated. I see how that makes more sense with the four than than, uh, me relating to other types. 
we can see whatever we want. <laughs> You've got that anchor, uh, you, you know. Honestly, look, Creek. I could, I could make any, I could make any argument yeah. on any of the mm-hmm. types about you. I could, I could easily say, hey, I see a lot of seven in you, and here's why. And nine, of, and nine, and I see this, and I see six, and I see, you know, I, I can do that. And you know, you know, I what make me really see it was these. I think it was a keynote or the end of, of um, Jerry Wagner. Yes. When he mapped out the Hornevians. Yes, the different the triads, approaches to those. Different approaches of the Hornevians uh, mapped to the Enneagram. And there were approaches that mapped them to the Enneagram differently. And they all made sense. They all made sense. I mean, you can justify whatever you want. Yeah. You can see whatever i mean you will see whatever confirms the hypothesis you want yeah and after that endnote speech i was talking to jerry and i said jerry why didn't you finish your endnote by saying therefore this is all bullshit and he just starts <laughs> laughing and he said because that's what you would say mario it's not what i would say you know and I, so we need yeah, to have jerry know. on sometimes that would be a blast <laughs> yeah yeah so so this is like astrology and you see the horoscope you read the horoscope for your sign and you will say oh this is true for me it's called the barnum effect yeah it's called the barnum effect or the forer effect is that we can when something is uh, sufficiently generalized it's easy for everybody to see it in themselves and quite frankly so it, it doesn't have to be all that generalized because you can find any of these things to some extent and then amplify them in your head and a confirmation bias holds them true you know etc cetera, etc cetera. now when we talk about the enneagram and the awareness to action approach we're really careful about the claims we're making okay and the claim we're making related to the type is that there seem to be these nine distinct strategies of adapting to the world and solving the problems that life brings our way. And even though we use all of them to some extent, one of them seems to be the one we rely on the most. Okay, It's something tangible. It's something we're not saying this thing exists in you. It's a gene. It's, you know, some divine archetype or anything like that. No. Just people fall into patterns. And because this is common in the natural world, particularly among social species where there are differential expression of traits into consistent correlated patterns, you know, some ants go out and find the food, others carry it back, you know, and that sort of thing. It's not unreasonable to believe that it's natural. And if we look, we can see it. Okay, just like some people are more introverted, some people are more extroverted, some people are night people, some people are morning people, some people are optimists, I can go on and on, okay? So we can say that. We can also say that, yeah, you know, there are these three domains of life, preserving, navigating, and transmitting, and each of us seem to have a bias to prioritize one of them over the others. Beyond that, 
we can't make any causal claims. We never suggest, well, you became this way. I mean, I was reading this, uh, you know, in here in, in Chazo's book, The Enneagrams of Fixations, about, you know, how, um, you know, I, I became a quote-unquote moralist because my mother was domineering and, you know, this and that and the other thing. And it's, 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 it's just a bloat of course crap, right? Um, so, um, doesn't mean that it's not like that because maybe it is maybe it's on our genes maybe it was because of this but there's no way to know that it is like that yes when somebody comes up with a way of falsifying it okay when somebody comes up with a clear coherent hypothesis that's testable that can be falsified okay now you have my interest until then all i can do is observe the phenomena that tends to be correlated, and then I can create some explanatory model for it that over time will grow and evolve as we learn more about human nature, right? That's just the way of things. If we don't do it this way, we have the a lot of fun with the model, coming up with all these ideas about it, with the wings and how we became the type we are and all of this. And we enjoy it, but then we lose credibility. We lose people along the way because, you know what? I don't fit yes. the description you're yes. giving. And so we will, we might enjoy it, but we will lose a lot of people along the way because it's not accurate. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't try things out, can't push on the system oh, or add things to the system. Absolutely. But if you're going to try to, if you believe in your idea enough, then you're going to be patient before you start presenting it because you want to make sure it's falsifiable. You want to make sure that it's a large data set with as few variables as possible. It only has to be falsifiable if you're claiming a causal mechanism. Okay. Okay. Because I can't falsify that some people are striving to feel powerful and some people are striving to feel perfect and so forth. That's just an observation I have that I'm sharing with people because I find that it's a useful heuristic for understanding human nature. Okay. For me, the reason we don't teach wings is because it's not an issue of it being true or not, because none of these things are true. It's an issue of it being useful. It's an issue of being the best or a better explanation versus a worse explanation for variation among the types. My view is that it's a explanation that adds complexity without um, compensatory value, and it's a less robust explanation for that diversity. And when it overlaps with the instinctual biases and the idea of the subtypes, which for me is a more easily and justifiable, justifiably explained approach that holds up and is simpler, well, then the wings, there's no reason to talk about wings. Yeah, and I would add that with the wings, there's some gray. There are some gray areas that are not explained by the wings. I'm yeah. um, this, I'm that, I'm both. I, I'm neither. Whatever. Yeah. So it doesn't cover the whole spectrum. Yes. And once you finish describing the phenomena using that lens, what do you do about it? And that's my main yeah. thing against the wings. 
It's like, okay, I'm finished. I'm done describing everything. I did this because of my two weighing whatever. So what? Yeah. Whereas with the subtypes, if I'm a navigating one, which it would be the um, one with the two wing, I know that with my navigating domain, I overdo it, that I don't do enough of the preserving, and I, and I can, it's actionable. I can do something about it. But with the wings, okay, a two, a two wing, what do I do with it? So the wings don't fly, damn it. So now I, I've never, I, you know, I've never heard some uh, process to do something about the wings. I've heard things of like balancing out your wings, right? Where what does that mean? Meaning, like back in the day, I would have identified myself as a fourth, a five, and then there's a time in my life where I'm like, oh, well, I need to do more. I need to develop more skills. I can't just think and feel about things I actually need to do things and put myself out there and accomplish be successful that sort of thing and that did help that mindset shift but maybe that was happenstance sure. which which you could say without referring to the three wing you know I'm a <laughs> I'm, I'm somebody who tends to disengage from the world and I need to get out there and be more active right so Right. Which honestly could also lead us straight into the next topic, which is centers. Because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm thinking and feeling, but I'm not doing and acting in go. the body. Okay. So yeah, that's a great segue into next week where we'll jump into the centers um, and hopefully get to the tri-type. So we'll see. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's there's lots to talk about apparently about each one of these. We got a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah. yeah. You know. um, <laughs> so thanks, listener. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. 